Amen, brother. Good to see you. We have a lot of home folks, and we have a number of guests with us tonight. And if you haven't had the privilege yet of hearing our guest speaker, you are in for a treat. God has blessed him, called into a ministry, and gave him a, a wonderful gift of declaring the Word of God. And we look forward to his presence here. He will say some more about tomorrow evening, I'm sure. But one note I wanted to emphasize is that tomorrow evening, Lord willing, his family will be here. And uh, I am anxiously awaiting uh, having an opportunity to meet his children and his sweet wife. So that will be tomorrow evening, Lord willing. Uh, to our young people, thank you. Amen. David, thank you. Our choir didn't sing, but they're good looking, aren't they? <laughs> I will receive the gifts after. <laughs> Folks, I don't know how to do this. Uh, you know Cameron, and, and uh, you, you've heard him, and, and uh, the joy of the Lord, the encouragement that he brings to our hearts. And uh, about 15 minutes ago, I got some news that was a real downer. To me, and I don't know those who are involved, but I feel that I should make mention of it. And after I do this, uh, I'm going to ask that all of us take just a moment in prayer. You know, you have heard it said from this pulpit, and particularly our premium services, we need to pray for our schools, for our school teachers, for our students that are in our high school here, as well as other schools in our area, private and public schools. I was told just before the service, 15-year-old student, Equilibrium High School, attempted suicide this morning. Don't know the name? That's, don't need to. The young man is in the hospital now. The Lord knows who he is. The Lord knows his family. And the Lord knows the condition that he is in. Um, it is, is a mind-boggling thing. It's a thing that, that brings sorrow uh, to all who know him and love him and like I say I know none of the details I don't know any of the names I know nothing else other than what I'm sharing with you and that's what someone shared with me just before the service began this evening I want us to take just a moment or two in silent prayer you pray you don't have to know the name you don't have to know the condition all you have to know is that some 15 year old was in such a position that he thought life was not worth continuing. And if that doesn't touch your spirit and your heart, I don't know how else to say it, there's something wrong with you. Would you join me please by your heads? Uh, nobody looking around and just pray for this young man. Shall we pray? Our Father, we pray that you would bless this young man. Spare his life, we ask. Bless his family, all who know him and love him. And through whatever led this young man to the place that he was in this morning, and through this day, I pray that he might have an encounter 
with Jesus. I pray that he would come to know whatever else is true. Jesus loves him. And will do for him what no other human being can do. So help him to know and to have that kind of an encounter with the Lord of glory. We commit him to you for your care. Thank you for hearing your people as they are praying. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Cameron, uh, forgive me. This is uh, not the best way for me to have you to come and encourage our hearts. But then again, maybe it is. So uh, Cameron knows something about this. He and I have spoken about situations similar to this that he's been familiar with. So he knows uh, uh, this kind of a situation as well. Welcome to Wake Chapel. Cameron, welcome to the pool, brother. Thank you, my brother. And thank you so much, Pastor. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 3. Struggled much of the day praying through and thinking through what God would have me to speak on tonight, actually sitting there in the second pew thinking through two messages and praying through it. I believe God's leading in this direction. Looking at the subject tonight, a miraculous transformation, I just want to go ahead and encourage you, as I hope you've been doing all week, and that's praying and thinking about who you're going to invite tomorrow night. Tomorrow night is our evangelistic push. Wednesday night, I hope you're here. We have about 200 people in the, in the meeting house tonight, so that means at least 400 should be here tomorrow night because everybody here will bring at least one person. Uh, that's all you got to do, just bring at least one person. And uh, a lost person, not just somebody from another church. Don't make a deal. You go to their revival if they'll come to yours. Uh, but find somebody that desperately needs to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. And I we're going to be looking at someone who needed Jesus, someone who needed to hear some good news. Friend, we're living in a day where there's more bad news than ever before. I mean, you have to turn the news on and listen for an hour before you'd ever hear anything good. It's all bad. Well, I want to tell you there's some good news that trumps all the bad news. Amen? There's something that we need to hear, that we need to be reminded of tonight, and hopefully this will encourage you as you begin to prepare even for tomorrow and tomorrow night. Verse number 1, chapter number 3 of the book of Acts. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. It was about the ninth hour. And a certain man who had been lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the, into the temple. And he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, and he asked of them some alms. And Peter fastened his eyes on him with John and said, Look, upon us three words and he gave heed unto them expecting to receive something of them some money a denarii and then peter said silver and gold have i none but such as i have i give thee in the name of christ jesus of nazareth rise up and, and walk and then he took him by the right hand and he lifted him up and assisted him to his feet. And immediately those feet that had been weak and lame, those ankle bones that had never uh, been able to support weight, immediately received strength. And this man who had been lame stood up and he leapt 
And he walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God as a living witness. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. Beloved, my prayer is that tomorrow night, My prayer is that Sunday morning, my prayer is that Sunday evening in this church and in churches all across our nation and our world that God would do something that others would stand in amazement and wonder and say, wow, look at God work. Wow, look at Him go. Look at the people of God as they're on fire and as they're sharing their faith and as they're radically impacting the community around them. My prayer is that God would do some things, even here tomorrow night, that only He can do. But tonight we're going to look at what our responsibility is. I am both humbled and flattered and somewhat intimidated that in our midst tonight is royalty, the president of the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina, Dr. Timmy Blair, who pastors over in Anger, at the Piney Grove Chapel Baptist Church, a place that I dearly love and his folks we dearly love. Brother Timmy, would you lead us to the Lord in prayer as we prepare to meet with God tonight? Yes, Lord God. We pray, God, that he would find that peace mm. that surpasses all understanding. Mm. Lord, we pray that you would touch him. God, that he would turn his attention to you. Lord, we know that there's hope in you. There are tomorrows in you. Mm. And God, I pray tonight that you would wrap your arms around him and his family. Yes, Lord, we pray for the man of God who stands to proclaim the word of God. We pray that you would give a fresh anointing upon his life. God, that you would open our minds and our hearts. And may we be receptive to that still, small voice that speaks to us. And whatever you say, Lord, may we say, dear am I, send me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Timmy, so much. You know, tonight we're, we're talking about a miracle. We're talking about miracles in the lives of people who desperately need miracles. And you wonder, well, where does a miracle begin? Almost without exception, every miracle you find in the Bible begins with someone on their face before a holy God. If you look with me in verse number one, it says that both Peter and John went up into the temple into the hour of prayer. And they were there on the ninth hour. All of the things that would take place at Acts chapter 3 began with two faithful witnesses. Not out witnessing, but on their knees before God. Not leading the choir in the choruses, but on their face before God. Not performing their duties in the temple, but on their face before God. Sometimes those of us who are in ministry and some of those of us who are lay leaders within the church are, are quick to begin working and serving and ministering without spending adequate time on our face before God. May I say to you tonight as we begin to look into the Word of God that every miracle that we will see in the days to come will happen only if we are on our face before God. Prayer precedes power. I know that's hard to say. Prayer precedes power. I want you to say that with me. Amen. 
Prayer precedes power. One more time. Prayer precedes power. My prayer tonight is that when you lay your hand on the pillow, that that will be etched in your mind. And you'll say, oh God, I want to be the prayer warrior. I want to see your power come down. I want to see your fire fall on this place tomorrow night. And I want to be an agent of change as I'm begging you to move. I'm desperate for you to move. I don't believe we're ever going to see revival in our land until God's people become so very, very desperate that we will settle for nothing else. I want us to become so desperate as if we had just learned of a terminal disease in the life of our child. I want us to become so desperate as if we've just gotten that midnight call that our parents on the way to the hospital unresponsive. I want us to come bare before God begging Him to do a miracle, begging Him to do that which only He is qualified to do. Verse number 2. I want us to look at three specific things tonight in this text and I will be brief. I want you to remember what you hear. The first thing we see, and this is the story of the lame man and his healing. You know this story, you've heard it before. But let's look where we fit in. Number one, we see the reproach of the lame man. Notice in verse number two. And the Bible says, a certain man who was lame from his mother's womb. We do not know his name. We do not know his status. We do not know uh, much about his upbringing. We do not know uh, of any level of, of, of wealth in his family, what kind of family he came from, what side of the tracks he was born on. The only thing we know is that he was lame from his mother's womb. Beloved, this is a picture of a lost person. It doesn't matter how much money they've got or how little money they've got. It doesn't matter if they live in a mansion, in a lean-to, or in a tiny house, beloved. Listen, can I tell you, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They're all uh, unrighteous. There are none righteous, no, not one. It's important we understand that. And it says that every day they carried him. They laid him at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. Why? So that he might ask alms of them that entered in. The reproach of the lame man, think about this. He was absolutely helpless. He had to be carried every day to the temple. Beloved, the people that you and I interact with on a daily basis, they are ultimately helpless. Likely as not, they will not pass by the church meeting house tomorrow and say, you know what? I've decided to go to church. It's up to us to go and to rescue the perishing, to care for the dying, telling them Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. For 40 years, this man had lived a life of misery. May I say to you that many of the people that you and I come in, 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 in contact with tomorrow... They are people who are living in absolute misery. They are looking for love in all of the wrong places. They are seeking peace in all of the wrong ways. They are looking after joy and happiness in places that they will never find them. Can I tell you, there's never been one to find anything but emptiness at the bottom of a bottle. There's never been one to find uh, anything other than heartache at the end of a broken relationship. This man had experienced 40 years of misery. However, every day he was carried to the gate. The gate called beautiful. Now, we don't quite understand what that means. It was not one of the inner gates, but it was the outer gate. He could not come into the temple. He was not allowed access to the temple because of his condition. Beloved, because we are believers in Christ, you and I have access to the throne of God. The Holy of Holies, we might go because that veil was rent from top to bottom. And we can now come into the presence of God, crying out, Abba, Father. But a lost person doesn't have that access. They're on the outside looking in they're on the outside only seeing us as a living witness he had no access to the place of God but somebody daily carried him where he might hear and he might see and he might witness 
the workings of God firsthand. There's something about being in church. Brother David, I, I want to tell you, I, I, I've come to love you and appreciate you. Um, I, had, I, I mean that, y'all giggling and laughing. I mean, I try to be nice and sweet and I carry on. We had supper together over at uh, the Cotton's Ian, Ian, not Owen, but Ian Cotton. Anyway, um, I don't know why everybody kept telling me that. I don't know if the Cotton's with an Owen are like a bad group of people. I don't know. But they kept saying, now, these are the Ian's, not the Owen's, the Ian's, not the Owen's. I don't know. But anyway. And there was something about David. There was something different. There was something going on. A, a brokenness in his speech, a, a tear in his eye that God was moving and preparing his heart for the service and what a sweet time of worship it was. Beloved, can I tell you, sometimes we just need to get people close to where the presence of God can be felt. We cannot drag someone to the presence of God and say, okay, God, here they are, now strike them hard. But we need to get them into a place where they can hear the gospel singing and they can hear the gospel preaching and they can be in the fellowship of the people who love the Lord. There's something about it that's contagious, y'all. Not only was he helpless, he was also hopeless. He was not there begging for a healing. He had given up on that. After 40 years, he had given up on that. All he was asking was just a little something, something to help me survive another day, something to help me sustain life one more day. Beloved, so many people in our society today, they've given up on peace. They've given up on hope. They've given up on joy. They're just trying to make it another day. He was helpless. He was hopeless. He was absolutely desperate. One by one as they passed him by, an alms, he would say, an alms, he would say, anything will do, anything that you will have. Oh, it's the desperation that we find evident in a lost person. They are helpless. They are hopeless. They are desperate. They ultimately need Jesus. I love New York City. I know that's hard for you to imagine, but we have a church there and we go up and minister. I was there a couple of weeks ago and we spent a week ministering to homeless people. God allowed us to fall in love with some sweet homeless people. A dear lady named Kim. She did not look like a Kim she was in her mid-60s. She was a rather large lady. She was bent over with osteoporosis and everything that she owned fit into an old, rusty grocery cart. My daughter and another little girl went up and handed her a care package, which had food and other items that were just a simple dollar store type things, but handed it to her. And she leaned up and looked at them, and when she opened her eyes, they were glistening. She was lovely, and she was precious. And she was sweet. Nothing like what we expected. It reminded me of the, of the movie Home Alone when Kevin befriended the pigeon lady you might remember and found that she was nothing like he expected. May I say to you, when you engage with lost people, you find out that many of them are not evil people. They're not people who have just made up their mind to walk away from God. Many of them are simply lost they have no idea how to be found. The gospel is foreign to them. They did not have the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. They did not have the privilege of growing up in a Bible preaching, teaching church. They did not have the privilege of growing up with a grandma who sang hymns to them as their lullabies. But they still need Jesus. We see the reproach of the lame man. Number two, verse three, we see the request of the lame man. He saw Peter and John. I don't know why, something stood out about them. And he looked at them and said, Sirs, could you spare something? 
Sirs, could you, could you give me something to help me out today? But the fact of the matter was what they would give to this man would not just help him out for that day, but the next day and the next day as a river of living water flowing from him every single day. But that isn't what he asked for. Sometimes people will come to the church and they'll say, Are you the preacher? I need some help with my power bill. I need some help. I mean, sometimes they even want help with their cell phone bill and their cable bill and their medical bills and their all the you know all these kind of things. And 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 you know it, it's 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 easy for us sometimes to say, well, hey, let's just let's just pay a bill and then they'll leave. But ultimately, that might be a divine appointment that God's put them there. Sure, we could meet a daily need, but it might be that there's an eternal need that needs to be met. Notice his acknowledgement as he sat there at the gate called Beautiful. He acknowledged in his mind, in his heart, this is a place where I can find help. This is a place where somebody will give to me. This is a place where someone will have a charitable heart. How about his attitude? He wasn't sitting there saying, look at me. Look at the condition I'm in. This is not fair. Somebody should do something for me. You should feel sorry for me. You shouldn't be able to walk by as I am here. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't haughty. In fact, after 40 years, I submit to you, he was probably very, very humble. There was nothing that he could offer. He could not hold a sign that said, we'll work for food, because he could not work. In fact, there was nothing that he could do in exchange for what they could do for him. Beloved, sometimes our relationships are based on what people can do for us. I submit to you, and I stand here tonight, a guilty man. Sometimes I'll be sitting there on the front row of my church in our pew or over at the Lake Church, and, and, and Brother Dave, somebody will come over to me and say, Preacher, have you seen who's here? I'll say, Who? Man. And they'll, and they'll say, So and so. Don't you know them? He's a lawyer. You need to go back there and talk to him. Or he sells real estate. You need to go talk to him. Or, or, or he's a doctor. You need to go talk to him. You know, he's somebody. She's somebody. You need to go back there and talk to them. Because, boy, if they'd join the church, they'd tithe and they'd give. And they'd be such a great addition to our church. Hey, come on now. Right? You know, you make sure they fill out a visitor's card. You make sure that offering plate goes by there, you know. But I also submit to you, an old family come in. They've driven up in an old conversion van that it looks as though they've been living in. They come in and you can tell they probably got their clothes at Goodwill. They're little kids. They've come in and, bless the heart, they don't look like they've had a bath this week. And, and, they, and they don't exactly know how to conduct themselves. I dare say that we're quite as eager to go back and welcome them and extend the right hand of fellowship. I doubt everybody's getting real excited to go witness to them and love on them and get them to come be one of us. Sometimes we need to see people through the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone, while they did not deserve His mercy, they are one to whom His mercy is offered, one to whom His grace is extended, one to whom His love is real. You ever notice who Jesus was constantly going after? He wasn't going after the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, although he loved for them to be converted too. Jesus was going after the harlots, and Jesus was going after the tax collectors, and Jesus was going after those on, on the outs with society. This man had an attitude. He was absolutely broken. But I submit to you there was also an authenticity 
to Peter and John. It said that when he saw Peter and John, he spoke specifically to them. I love the old hymn that says, let others see Jesus in you. When people see you and they hear you and they're around you, there ought to be a desire for them to say, I'm not sure what it is that you have to offer, but I need it. I need your peace and I need your joy and I need your contentment. I need to be more like you. Tell me, tell me, tell me what it is that makes you like you are. Sometimes I'll, and Brother Timmy always dresses so so distinguished. I only have two suits and y'all know because I wore one of them three times already this week. They hurt my, my, my feelings, preacher, because a whole bunch of your people come to me tonight and said, we like that outfit. It, I'm afraid you're just going to wear that gray suit all, all week. Well, my car broke down, y'all. <laughs> y'all going to do a love offering tonight? <laughs> if, if so, I'm going to start telling you, boy, my car broke down on me, and man, I run into town on fumes, and I didn't know if I was going to, but I made it here, praise God. I don't know how I'm going to get back home, but God will provide. I'm just kidding. But anyway, back to what I was saying. But I'll go to the hospital. And, and sometimes I have a suit on. Sometimes I have khakis and a polo on. Sometimes, I, you know, just different ways. But people will come up to me and they'll say, Hey, aren't you a preacher? I don't think I look like a preacher. In fact, now your preacher looks like a preacher. <laughs> Amen. I mean, he does. He does. There, there is a look, and it's a wonderful thing. But let me ask you something. Is there enough evidence in your life that other people would come up to you that don't even know you hardly and say, you're a Christian, right? Can I tell you? I don't know anything about the story you're talking about today, but I guarantee you this morning there were people saying, is there a preacher in the house? Are there, are, are there some youth pastors around that we could call? September the 12th, 2001 was the most spiritual day our nation had known in many, many years. Why? Because in times of tragedy, in times of crisis, people are going to look for somebody who has faith in more than what we see and what we have and what we hear. May there be enough evidence in our life that people will recognize there's something different. Young people, I'm so proud of you how you've been so faithful all week at school. It's okay that people say, you know what? She's a little different. He's a little different. He doesn't laugh at the jokes that are told in the locker room. She doesn't act like the other girl. She's not after the same things. He's not after the same things. That's a wonderful thing. There needs to be an authenticity that people see. Like the old Chinese preacher said one time, sometimes there needs to be less talky-talky and a little more walky-walky. Number three, we see the reproach of the lame man, the request of the lame man. But look with me in verse number four at the regard of Peter. Peter spoke up. This is important. You get this. Don't miss this. Verse 4. And Peter, he fastened his eyes upon him with John. Beloved, when we take groups to New York, one of the first things that we tell them is to be very careful not to make eye contact with people. Some folks are so offended. If you make eye contact with with, with them, they will immediately jump to their feet ready to fight. They're intimidated if you make eye contact. But may I say to you that many times people will say, that's okay. I can't bear to look at them anyway. If I turn my head the other way, it doesn't hurt me to see someone laying on the street asleep. If I turn my head the other way, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt me so much when I walk by and somebody's eating out of a trash can. 
Beloved, may I say to you, for the last 50 years or more, I believe our churches have chosen to look the other way in the midst of lostness. I believe we've come into our buildings, locked the doors, closed it up and said, as long as we're in here, we're safe from them people on the outside. But beloved, can I tell you, you can peruse the New Testament all day long. Nowhere does it say the church is to say, y'all come. But the Bible says, church, y'all go. Y'all go. Acts chapter 1, the last thing Jesus said is, Now you go. The Holy Spirit's going to come and you go and be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, under the uttermost parts of the earth. That includes Fuquay and Verena. Amen. The Bible says we're to go. We're to go. And tomorrow God's calling us go. Young people, there are people in your school. You need to go to them. You need to bring them. You need to introduce them to your Christ. People, there are folks that you work with that you know it, that you hurt when you listen to them because you realize how utterly lost they are. You need to go to them and love them in Jesus' name. There was a regard of Peter. He fastened his eyes upon this man and he said to him just the very fact that he would stop and speak there's a man in our church his name is Ellie Ellie is shorter than I am his brother passed away a couple years ago and on his his deathbed he asked me to go visit Ellie he said Ellie's lost he's going to go to hell if whenever he dies if something doesn't happen I began visiting Ellie and others did and loving on Ellie Ellie said, I'm going to come to church because my brother made me promise I would on his deathbed. That Sunday, when I saw Ellie come in, I was glad I was preaching an evangelistic message. The, 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 the praise team, man, they were singing some awesome songs like in Christ alone, you know. And I thought if anything will get to Ellie's heart, it will be my message and their singing, amen. I mean, I just know it's going to impact Ellie's heart. The day after that service, A team went by and visited, and Ellie broke down and began to weep. And he said, when the preacher gave the invitation, I asked Jesus to be my Savior. And people started texting me, Ellie invited Jesus to come into his heart. And I thought, you know what? It was probably the eloquence of my sermon. Or maybe it was the the, the beautiful melody of the music. Here's what Ellie said. And this man's close to 80 years old, tiny little figure of a man. He said, something happened when I walked in that church. He said, your preacher came over to me and he touched me. He put his hand on my back and patted me on the back and shook my hand. He said, nobody ever made me feel so good in all my life. Now, let me tell you, I'm not a a lovey, dovey, touchy-feely kind of person. That's not my nature. I'm 41 years old, and to my knowledge, my mom or daddy, since I can remember as an adult, they never hugged me, things like that. It's just not something I'm just not like that, you know? I mean, not everybody's like that, right? I have no recollection of shaking his hand. I have no recollection of patting him on the back. But more than the message and more than the music, Just the fact that somebody stopped and reached out and touched him is what God used to touch his heart. Wow. As this man was was there, lame, 40 years of misery, and somebody so important, you know, as the one going into the hour of prayer would stop. Can't you just see Peter as he knelt down and said, Sir, look at us. Sir, look at us. I don't know if he put his arm around him and touched him. I don't know if he shook his hand. I don't know what he did. I don't think he pulled an earnest angel and gave him a, you know, across the head or anything like that. 
But Peter, in an instant, was filled with compassion. Just the fact he stopped and he looked at this man and he engaged this man. That's a picture of what we need to do. You see, more than what, 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 what people, you know, they're not looking to find out what we know. They just want to know that we care. They just want to know that they're important. I remember so many stories in the Bible. Remember the little children were coming to Jesus and the disciples says, get those kids away from him. Jesus said, hey boys, you let them alone. Let those children come unto me. You want to know what heaven looks like? This, fellas, this is what heaven looks like. This is what heaven looks like. Continue looking. His eyes were fastened on him. His heart was moved for him. He showed him mercy. Did that man deserve it? No. Did that man do anything to earn it? No. Could that man have done anything in return? No. That's why it's called mercy. And then finally, his hands ministered to him. You see, there's a difference in pity and compassion. Have you ever had pity on somebody? Sure you have. Probably even today. You know, you, 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 you see someone and you feel sorry for them. You see a situation and your heart breaks. But there is a difference in pity and compassion. Pity only acknowledges their despair, but compassion actually does something about it. All throughout the New Testament, the Bible said, and Jesus was moved with compassion. My prayer is that our pity and our compassion would move us and to be a call to action in our lives. Think about this. You know the, the parable of the Good Samaritan? I was studying on this a while back and getting ready to preach on this. And God showed me something I'd never thought of before. Now, let me just, I'm, I'm taking a little bit of liberty with the scriptures. I don't often do that, but follow my thinking. It's just, it could have happened this way. You know the story of the Good Samaritan. There was someone who was robbed and beaten and thrown into the ditch and left for dead, right? And the first person that came by was a priest. Now, let's just make some, some modern day comparisons. That was a good, faithful preacher. Now, we tend to think that this was a, a, a mean-spirited and an angry and a haughty preacher, a, a, a self-righteous and pious priest that didn't have time to care for this man. Maybe, maybe. But maybe this was a priest who was so busy doing his temple duties that he had no time to stop. Beloved, can I tell you, I've never known a preacher to get run off from a church for not visiting lost people enough, but I've known many who got run off from a church for not visiting shut-ins enough. I've never known a church to be upset because their preacher wasn't leading people to Jesus, but I can take you to a dozen churches right now that are upset with their preacher because he doesn't visit the church members in the hospital as often as they think he should. Sometimes us good old faithful preachers are so busy being pastors to our flock and, and taking care of the sheep that we simply are too preoccupied to care for those in the ditch. Well, then comes the Levite. It'd be more like a deacon or an elder in our churches, a church worker. And he came along and, and sure, he was moved you know, a little bit and he had compassion, he felt bad and he, he kind of felt sorry for the guy, but the Bible said he went right on too. Well, maybe he was just an old sorry dog. I don't know. But maybe not. Maybe he was responsible for opening up the temple that morning. Maybe he was responsible for getting the coffee ready for the women's auxiliary meeting. I don't know. Maybe he was so consumed and so tied up with all of his priestly and his, and, and, and his Levitical duties that he didn't have time to do what was most important. 
So, of course, finally came along a Samaritan, a stranger, and he ministered to his needs. I say that to say this. Don't confuse what we do in the church as being the bidding that God would have us to make. I love this story, to be brief. A young man grew up in the city. I grew up in the city. I know many of you grew up on the farms, a lot of farms around here. And, um, but this young man, he was, he, he was just a city boy. It was uh, the first summer he was old enough to go and stay at his grandparents' farm, and he was going to stay a whole week. He was so excited, he had no idea what he was getting ready to get himself into. The first morning, his granddaddy woke him up at 5 o'clock, drug him out of the bed, and he was wiping the sleep out of his eyes. It felt like he didn't even know there was a 5 in the a.m., you know. They went out to the barn, and they gathered the, the eggs, and they cleaned the stalls, and they fed the animals, and they did everything they needed to do in the barn. And then about 6 or so, they came back in the house, and mm, that smell, you know it. Country ham and eggs, red-eyed gravy and big old cathead biscuits. Grandma had it all ready. But the little grandson was missing. Missing, couldn't find him anywhere. Where did that boy go, granddaddy said. And finally, granddaddy looked in. There he was, stretched out across the bed, fast asleep. Granddaddy went in and woke him up again and sat down on the edge of the bed and said, Son, what are you doing? He said, But granddaddy, all our work's done. He said, No, no, son. He said, Son, you got to understand. Now listen, what we do in the barn, now those are our chores. But you see, it's what we do out in the field. Now, that's our real work. Friend, I'm thankful that we come to the barn to do our chores. I'm thankful for every song the choir sings. I'm thankful for every lesson that our teachers teach. I'm thankful for every committee meeting that our committees hold. But if all we're doing is taking care of the barn, we're failing our Lord miserably. A lesson it took me a long time to learn. Verse 5, let me move quickly to our ending. Verse 5, Peter fastened his eyes in verse 4, and he gave heed, and this man gave heed unto them, and listen, he expected to receive something. He's thinking, maybe, maybe a denarii, maybe a dollar or two. Maybe they'll give me enough today to get me a good meal. Maybe they'll give me enough today to, uh, to go in and to buy some food or, or, or to get some necessities. I hope they give me something I really need. And he waited. And he waited. And then Peter opened his mouth. And can't you imagine as this man's heart began to sink, Peter said, silver and gold have we none. Peter literally said, sir, we're broke. Sir, our pockets are empty. Sir, we don't have anything to give you, or at least not that which you're hoping for. Sir, we can't help you out in the way that you'd like for us to. But we've got something even better. Verse 6, the last part. What we give you, we give in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Oh, they were going to offer something far greater, far better than anything he could have ever hoped for. And then he took him by the right hand and he lifted him up and immediately his feet received strength. I'm almost done, but don't, don't give up on me just yet. I want you to hear this. This is not deep theology, but it's important we hear it. The response of the disciples, number one, what they did not do. 
Number one, they, they did not complain about being broke. Anybody ever been broke and complained about it? Amen. I mean, they did not say to him, what do you mean? You're wanting something from us? We're just two old preachers. We don't have anything. We're broke ourselves, and here you are wanting something from us, right? They weren't bitter. They weren't angry. We were doing a whole lot better till we left, till we left everything and followed Jesus. We had money. We had a career. We had things. They weren't like that. They didn't do the easiest thing they could have done. They could have said, hey, let, let's, let's give him just a little something, and then he won't ask us, you know, we, we can just kind of go on. Do we ever do that? They didn't refer him to someone else. They were willing to get personally involved. Sometimes people say, preacher, I got a new neighbor, and you need to go visit him. I always say, when are we going? You know, Go. It's important we understand missions. It's not just about giving, but it's about going. Number two, not only was it what they did not do, but also what they did not say. Listen, they did not look at this man and say, this is your fault. Now, understand in this particular day, if a person was lame, it was almost always uh, attributed to his own personal fault or the fault of his parents or grandparents. Something caused you to be this way. Now, think how that relates to us. We see a person who's homeless and say, they probably drank everything they had away. I bet drugs did that to them. They probably chose to live that way. It's their own fault. We see somebody over at the mall. They've got tattoos on everything but their eyeballs. And you say, look at that person. They look hideous. They look awful. I just say, man, no, they just look lost. Sometimes we get so angry at sinners for being sinners. You will never find in the Word of God where, where Christ specifically was angry with sinners for being sinners. But time and time and time again, he was angry with the church, with the temple leaders, with so-called believers who were so unlike him. They didn't say, we can't, we're too busy. We're too important, we're too distinguished. Do you know who we are? We are Peter and John. For thousands of years, people will be talking about us. We don't have time for you. But here's what they did do. They gave him what, they, what he could not give himself. They offered to him something that would radically change his life. They offered him something that would, that, that would change the very direction of his soul. Whatever it took. Whatever it took. I shared some fishing stories the other night. I'll close with a fishing story. We have a gentleman in our church. His name is Steve. Steve is, has um, stage four uh, cancer. He's in renal failure, liver failure. My youngest boy, Jay, and I went to his home not too long ago to visit. And we went fishing. Went out onto the dock. He lives at Bay Tree Lake near Wallace and uh, Harold's in that area. My son kept throwing out and he kept catching this tiny little fish over and over and over again. It was that it, They were either twins or the same one just over and over. And I took the fishing pole and I said, son, let me show you how it's done. And I took that thing and I wheeled it out there in the middle of that little creek out yonder. And I, I said, now, I, I catch big fish, son, so you got to really brace yourself. And lo and behold, that line took off. I thought I had hooked a motorboat. I hung on to that thing and I finally kind of got him tightened up. And, I'd, and for about a half an hour, I worked and worked and worked and worked. And finally that fish came up through his fin, soaked us all. And I thought I had done caught that thing what caught Jonah, y'all. And uh, I mean, it was big. And finally I looked and here's Steve. Pulls his hat off and dives into the water. And I thought, what in the world? 
And Steve's, Steve would come up and then the fish would come up. Steve would come up and then the fish would come up. Back and forth. And he finally came up with this fish and threw him over his shoulders. And a 43-pound carp. Wouldn't you like me to say bass? Catfish. But a carp was laying there on that pier. And I had a shouting fit. Steve got out of that water and he said, What's going on with you? I said, Oh, if we'd all get so passionate about fishing for men that we would do whatever it takes to get them to the shore. Amen? Let me give you this as we close. Here's the lessons that we learned tonight from this text. There's a lesson in deliverance. This man was lame just like a sinner from birth. There was a dwelling in this man's life. The Holy Spirit of God. Immediately it says this man received strength Isn't it awesome to see a person give their heart and life to Jesus and immediately, no second work of grace, no somewhere down the road, not when they're mature enough to handle it, but immediately this man was strengthened and overwhelmed with joy. But there was also discipleship. Dear lady was talking to me the other night about this, how true it is. We ought not just get people across the finish line of salvation to high five and say, you're one of us now. But we need to begin to help them in their walk with the Lord. What's the first thing Peter did? He reached down and said, here, let me help you as you begin this new way of life. Let me help you as you begin walking for the Lord. Let me help you as you take your first steps for the Lord. That's a picture of discipleship, y'all. It's our responsibility not only to get them to the Lord, but to grow them in the Lord. I'll close with this and I'm done heading home. Here's the results of this miracle. Verse number eight. I like this part. What did the man do? Forty years, he's not stood. Forty years, he's not walked. Forty years, he's never experienced anything like this. But the moment Jesus came into his heart, he stood up. He leapt. He began leaping and dancing and praising the Lord. And he walked and he entered with them into the temple, immediately going into the presence of God because now he was qualified. Now he was able. Before, he could not go to where God was. But because God came to where he was... He can now be in the presence of God. That's a picture of salvation. There was a beautiful, miraculous transformation that would take place. And the Bible says that as he was praising God, all of the people there saw him walking and praising God. Isn't it awesome when someone goes out into the community and people start witnessing the work of God in their life and saying, boy, there's something different. There's been a change about that person. There was physical healing. He could walk and leap and run and and experience all of those physical things. There was emotional healing immediately this person depressed and in despair was overwhelmed with joy and thirdly there was spiritual healing far more than the fact that his lame his lame legs were now made whole far more than his body was now able to respond and and bear weight was what had happened in his heart and in his life the evidence It was evident, beloved. The Bible says, And they were all filled with wonder and amazement. Tonight's message is a precursor for tomorrow night. There are people who need to be here, just like that lame man needed to hear the good news, just like that lame man needed an experience with God. There are people out there all across this county, all across... Few quavering and points beyond that need to meet the Savior that you and I say we love so much. 
and they never will unless we're willing to introduce them. Father, I thank you for the beautiful picture of grace, the beautiful picture of healing, the beautiful picture of salvation that comes when your servants are willing to fasten our eyes upon a lost person to stop from our busy and our hurried lives to have compassion and then do something about it. Our compassion is our call to action. So, Father, I pray tonight that you might allow us in these few moments of invitation to respond, whether here at the altar or there at the pew, that we might beg you, that we might begin where Peter and John began their day on this particular occasion, on our face and on our knees and in your presence, begging you to do a miracle through us in the lives of other people. And God, it just may be that there's somebody here tonight that, Lord, they're like that lame man. What they need, they've been searching for, but they've yet to find it because they've not met the Master who can make it all right. Father, I pray tonight might be a life-changing night for them. And then I pray that you would burden every person, every heart in this room with somebody that we need to invite, that we need to love on, that we need to put our arm around and just touch them in the name of Jesus. God, eternity is resting upon our decisions, I know and believe. So may we respond as you'd have us to in Jesus' sweet name. Amen and amen. As we stand together tonight, as we begin into a time of invitation, every person in this room, I believe you've got somebody on your heart. Would you pray for them tonight? Would you commit to be that person to love them in Jesus' name? Brother Pastor. Cameron, thank you. Lord, thank you. The question that reverberates in my ears is, it couldn't be any plainer, are we taking care of the buildings or are we out in the field? I hope that you will consider that and consider what the Lord would have you to do and where the Lord would have you to be. You will bring somebody tomorrow night. You needn't come by the church tomorrow morning and expect them to be sitting here waiting on you. They're not going to be here. Are we taking care of the buildings? Are we taking care of the barn? Are we doing the chores? Are we doing the work in the field? That's where it's at. May God speak to your heart and to mine. May God seal to our hearts the truth that has been proclaimed this evening. And may we be obedient to Him as we go our way tomorrow. Tim Beck. Would you lead us in prayer to dismiss us and ask God's blessing and direction for our steps tomorrow? God, if there is one in this room that needs to be drawn close to your side, would you ask before they leave that this building, before they go to bed tonight, that they straight. Lord, it's been good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. We ask for a large crowd tomorrow, my Lord. 
sing the fellowship, preach if you ask it. You be in, be a blessing to us.